see you back it's good. It's fun to be back yeah um and you know we we were just talking about how we've upgraded the mics in mm -hmm. the studio to you, billy reader grade mics well i mean if i'm going to be on the podcast i figure you need the you know appropriate level of uh recording for my my smooth smooth voice yeah these do just really put out uh an amazing quality audio into the things like a um, little background um things that occur like whether it's within the room or like out in the gym like mm -hmm. somebody just walk like Cora be checking some people into yoga yeah it, it won't pick that up but like my other ones you like it, they were more sensitive to background stuff that's noise. my old studio mic it was a ribbon mic and the sound quality was good but it was so fragile as far as like mm -hmm. plosives hard you know hard constant sounds and whatnot and it was just and it would um just never liked it for this kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh and then you know and it, it was funny because it was all these things you were just fighting all the time little audio issues you're always just fighting because you go you record it it thinks it sounds okay but you know then you can hear your refrigerator running and you know two rooms over because it's a little hum i have to unplug mine uh when we film for the gym and there's yeah. a big cooler and it yeah. kicks on yeah and uh anyway so yeah i got a couple of these and it was just like oh Everything that I've been fighting for like the past two years just went away. That's, we were talking about the camera switcher. You know, I tell people this, when I started podcasting, like mm -hmm. switchers like that, which is what, um, I forget the name of the one that Joe Rogan used forever. Yeah. But it was like three grand. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at that when I started the podcast and I'm like, oh no, you know. Now it's like if I want to upgrade the mics, that's feasible to mm -hmm. do. Uh, and two, I have so much other stuff in here that I can put those mics I was using, which are great mics, Shure SM58s, yep. and then I have a couple of 57s too, on on my guitar amps and mm -hmm. other awesome stuff I got in here. I can pretty much capture audio anywhere here or in the gym mm -hmm. and make it sound way better than my iPhone. The thing I am looking for, and I've been looking for it for a little while, uh, and it may exist, and I just haven't seen it or wanted to pay for it, but... Uh, actually rig the boat up with gopros uh dude and, gopros are great I, and then i got two in here and then you know but having that sort of automatic switcher so if i'm out doing some actual sailing like being able to like switch with my phone mm -hmm. and, you can do that there so. there is an app for i mean really i can't believe how affordable that thing is i think mm -hmm. 2.99 is what i paid for it yeah a long time ago i saw one on like the marketplace the other day in mm -hmm. arkansas for 200 bucks really and I guarantee you, so I've seen the stream decks like that on the marketplace too, and people get them and they don't like figure them out mm -hmm. and you can get them secondhand like, yep. and they haven't even been used. Right. Um, but those stream decks, I had a smaller one, I upgraded to that one, but there's more, I've got open buttons left, but there's, mm -hmm. I can move over and there's other like folder, a folder's worth yep. of other buttons. But man, that tech, I think about this, like that technology, mm -hmm. I've been telling people this is the like I I throw video up after class. Yep. Kickboxing Muay Thai, like, hey, let's watch this fight or submission. Right. And I will do that casting it from my phone onto that TV on the wall in the gym. Mm -hmm. 
We do that in here. And I remember when, like, all I wanted was to watch YouTube on my TV, and that shit was not possible for several years. Right. I, uh, I don't, it, it's, it's those generational things where you, you try to convince people, like your students, like, you don't understand how good you have it. Uh, when I got out, so I graduated in 96 with a broadcast journalism degree, and I looked at buying my first video editor. And it was like it was like a room size editor, multi you know multiple VCRs, multiple monitors. Mm -hmm. Priced at nineteen ninety six, it was forty thousand dollars. Two years later, everything went digital, and I you know and I spent like three grand for a computer that did more than that thing ever would have. Mm -hmm. um, and that was even before we had you know um, broadband internet and you know youtube like you know youtube couldn't have existed in 1996 uh or at least not very well and like that's what i tell my students is like look the thing you have in your hand and the, the tools that you have that you that are free i'm like you've got more communication potential broadcasting potential than any major network had 30 years ago for real you know multi-million dollar corporations you have more you have the ability to reach more people than they ever did when uh, to be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. like the quality of the audio and video on the iPhones yeah. is great. Yeah. Like, and too, like I can plug in, uh, we did a, um, this mixer has a, a feature on like why, one of the reasons I bought it, you just plug a phone straight into it and mm -hmm. like talking through the mic, just like you're on the phone. Yep. Uh, but the, the quality of that, and it was just doing the, through the lightning adapter that the mm -hmm. TRRS that comes with the iPhone. And that's one of the things I've I've had to sort of step back. So traditionally with my, my classes, I make my students use what I would call real cameras, you know, legitimate, real. Yeah. you know, real like DSLR type video cameras or still cameras or whatever. Um, but really, I've had to step back in the past few years and, and, and ask myself, is it OK if they use their phones? Because the quality of the video that, you know, a good smartphone can put out these days is sometimes comparable. Cora's phone on cinematic mm -hmm. right now, she has like the iPhone after mine. Yep. But because I noticed I didn't have the cinematic feature, I was filming with her phone and I uh -huh. was like, oh. but it's as good as the 4k. I love that. I have a, these GoPros are 4k, uh -huh. right? When yep. my cans are just HDs, the Vixias, mm -hmm. they're like lower end Vixias, but they're good. But like, to be perfectly honest, uh, like Cora's iPhone is on par with like the best camera in the studio. Yeah. And I was like, but if you think about it, like, I mean, look at how much at like a uh, phone costs. Um, yeah. and, and you know, we get them for these upgrades, but it's like uh, how your bill is, uh, like you pay for it over time, mm -hmm. how it's set up now. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the, I tell people this, the year I graduated high school, 2006, mm -hmm. I remember my roommate, Nick going and standing in line. At AT&T when it was still over, like, closer to TJ Maxx in uh -huh. Russellville. Yep. He's standing in line, like, all day to get an iPhone the day it was released. Mm -hmm. And this is a stuff, like, uh, I think it would be really cool to do something. Tarver and I had a big combo just off air um, after I did a recording for him the other day about, like, the history of computing. Yeah. Talking about, like, when people had... I, I mean, you were up... You were middle class maybe not yeah definitely upper mm -hmm. middle class had this if you had a second phone line yeah. so your dial-up internet did not pro you know and yeah disable you from receiving phone calls yeah absolutely 
that was like a sign of being middle class when I was a kid. I mean, we didn't have a second line. <laughs> like I, well, even yeah, predating that, uh, I just you know I remember well the second like I remember just <laughs> the friends that had actual telephones in their bedrooms. Who are you? And, you know, how do I get some of that? You know, whatever, you know, wealth that you have. Uh, but then, yeah, and then they, we get, uh, you know, in the 80s, you start seeing some little personal computers popping up occasionally. You can play Frogger on if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and it just keeps going and going and going. Um, I tell, you know, I tell my students, uh, when I started college, um, I started with a typewriter. I didn't have a computer. I had a typewriter. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have it in my office. It had a little screen on it. It was it was fancy because it was they considered a word processor. Yes. And it had a little had a three and a half inch floppy drive on the side of it, but it was a typewriter. See, that's what I I have got it. So I I went down a Steve Jobs rabbit hole mm -hmm. and like watched all the movies about him. But I, I it started with um, I listened to this book uh, Creativity Inc. Yep. About Ed Catmull. Did did we talk about mm -mm. that? He's the he's the um, president, um, CEO of Pixar. Okay, and then he took over Disney Animation. Yep. Okay. Fascinating how this dude's take on things. Uh, I think you you might would enjoy the book. I listened to it like five times, not mm -hmm. no exaggeration. But that's in, in 1987, I think it was because it's years born. Steve Jobs bought Pixar from Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So Steve Jobs is coming up like throughout um, in this Ed Catmull book. And then I listened to Steve Jobs' um, autobiography. Mm -hmm. And then I listened to it again. It's it's really good. Um, I will listen to it again in the future for sure. It's long. Yeah. But it got me super interested in the history of computing and then also like uh, the Mac PC feud, uh, the development of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Like, because these are all things that are kind of like occurring in the background that uh -huh. have led us here. Yeah. Like that stuff we were just talking about. Like this is the, you know, who were the architects of that? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it just gets dumbed down to like Steve Jobs. It's like, yeah, but we need to talk about that dude's reality distortion field real quick. Like things yeah. like that. Like, I mean, if I was talking about Louis the Fourteenth. Mm hmm. You know, I would be like, oh, stupid motherfucking Sun King, okay? Right. Let's, you know, there's so, the, the wars of Louis, like right. all of the crazy shit that he did and was involved in. You go on forever about this guy. Yeah. And then it's like, since Steve Jobs' recent history, mm -hmm. we put him in that, like, you just like, oh, yeah, Steve Jobs, Apple, Wozniak. Right. And it's like, literally, like, you're reading three paragraphs in a book, like it's the back the back of one of the books or th about the, you know, the whole story. Right. And, uh, I think that that's something that there's a lot of room for in history scholarship. Well, you know, the original point, the original reason they s started trying to build computers were so people didn't have to remember specifically scientists didn't have to remember as much, uh, and just, you know, handle the computing side of it. And so they're like, okay, if we, if we create this whole other mechanism to do some of the thinking or the processing for us, it'll leave more room for original thought um, because you're not, you know, bogged down in trying to do the math. You're just trying to come up with the ideas. And, and that's, you know, the whole um, Turing machine was that was kind of the original idea of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
but then, you know, eventually they got something. Uh, and then it just, you know, it's the exponential growth. And if you look, it's the last 50 years, uh, it's, it's always exponential growth. It was the, um, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, it's the principle where basically processing speed and uh, memory storage capacity doubles every every uh, every year and a half, r roughly. And so they started doing uh, what is that principle? Somebody out there screaming it at their car radio right now. Um, it's not me. It's, it's anyway. Uh, I'll think of it about. 20 minutes and I'll just blurt it out. Um, anyway, anyway, but it's like, you know, and then software designers started in trying to write software not based on computing capacity today, but computing computing capacity that's going to be there in by the time when? In a year and a half or two years. And so they're always, it's just in that exponential growth. And, you know, you get, and I, I do a history of um, communication, but you know, like you had these huge, jumps uh from communication technology um don of mankind you know people started learning how to vocalize language and then we eventually get you know you get hundreds of thousands of years and you get written language and then you've got thousands of years and you get the print, printing press um i've been on that disney ride and then a few hundred years later you know you get uh the telegraph wire um and so it starts from like these thousands year jumps to then it goes to 100 year jumps and then it starts going all right telegraph wire oh broadcasting and then you know radio and then and it and it goes to decades and then the months. transatlantic yeah. telegraph like that's something that i would get into um i think it was 68 when that was laid mm -hmm. uh 1868 but like the first one had like they had they had completed it but it came undone but what you laid a cable across the entire atlantic excuse me yeah. In the 1800s? Yeah. Like, just to think about, that's the stuff in history that always baffles me. So, like, another contrast to bring, I've brought this up with you. Like, mm -hmm. well, I think we were driving back from uh, Northwest Arkansas, and I was imagining, like, the Confederates that had just lost riding their horses and wagons and wounded and everything back to Van Buren. Which is what they did. And these would have been people your great-grandparents knew. For real. Uh, so it's not, you know, those, those jumps in history aren't nearly as long as we like to think of them. Um, yeah, I know. It's, um, and thing is, it's not slowing down. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the, you know, I got an iPhone. Well, okay, let me back up. Um, I, got, I was one of the people, original... I got the first iPhone. I never, I never had an iPod or any of the other stuff before it because I was like, once, because I could see it, it was coming. I was like, once you get the convergence of all this technology, that's when I'll get it. And I remember going to the AT and T store, getting my iPhone, and they put it in a plastic bag with that had they sealed it, and they're like, we've had we've had trouble, you know, trouble with uh, you know, threats of people getting robbed, and I'm like, you just literally put it in a plastic bag, and that's somehow gonna protect my phone <laughs> we got you bro. we got you covered it's a little it's just literally a plastic shopping bag with tape on it um but it was the uh i don't know it's i remember thinking when i was kind of coming to all these conclusions that there was a period of time that so my grandparents were world war ii generation they grew up primarily on print media uh you know 
television came around, but it was kind of like internet for us. It came it, for me. It came around more when they started were adults. It wasn't a thing that they were, had much access to as kids. Um, so you had my great my my grandparents who primarily got all their news through newspapers. You had my parents' generation, which primarily got most of their information through television broadcast. And then you had my generation who primarily got most of their information through the digital means. Um, but it's not like, you know, now it's kind of changing, but it was like, it's not like they stopped printing newspapers once TV stations came around. And they didn't, it's not like TV stations went around, left once we got the internet. They just started stacking on top of each other. Now you're moving more into the convergence era where it all comes into the same place. Uh, but I just remember thinking you've got three, never in the history of mankind have you had three distinct generations who get their communication through three entirely different uh, means. And I was like, no wonder there's conflict. And, you know, you've got, because um, just people aren't going to the same well for their not, you know, their information. And it's just, you know, keeps getting segregated more and more and more. And there you go. Yeah, no, nah, that's, well, and two, What's interesting is what got me thinking about all this is uh, like when the very first Apple came out, mm -hmm. it was just a board. And the dude that was going to buy it from him was like, where's the monitor and all this other stuff that goes with the board? Uh -huh. And But like that was not a thing yet. Yeah. That like putting, putting all of these things together mm -hmm. had not come along. And that was not far behind. But that's what innovators blow my mind, like Steve Jobs, is that he was thinking about, like, the consumer perspective a lot, but, mm -hmm. like, the ways that, based off my research of this thing, mm -hmm. the ways that you felt when you bought that iPhone, mm -hmm. he made you feel that way. Oh, yeah. It like, was. I mean, that was part of it. Like, he just thought about things. That when this dude was dying, mm -hmm. they brought him, like, an oxygen mask. He's like, this is shit. And he would say yeah. that all the time. He's like, this is shit. Yeah, this is... And he's like, bring me four, and I will choose one, and I want to provide commentary on the upgrades that I would make to it. Right. Like, it's like, what, dude? You're you're literally dying right now. And <sighs> this is your... This is the way you look at the world. Yeah, but, you know... The, it's the idea that... Like the best special effects are the ones that you don't notice, um, and and it's people don't understand that so much of what they experience is by design. Uh, you know, so he was really thinking. I was like, how does this thing feel in my hand? You know, because iPhone, no buttons. Who who does buttons? Mm -hmm. That's and and everybody's like, why doesn't it have it? Just has one button. I don't get it. Um, like another one. Uh, S songs in your pocket. It's not an iPhone. Uh, but just about any car vehicle you buy today, you know, you get in at night, open the door, light comes on, mm -hmm. shut the door, light stays on, you turn on the key, lights fade down. They used to just click off whenever you shut the door. Yeah. Uh, BMW came up with that. And because of what they wanted to do is emulate the feel of uh, the beginning of a show. Like you go to a movie, you go to a theater, lights dim. And so they change the user yeah, experience yeah. uh so when you're oh this is this isn't we're not just driving a car you're going for a, you're you're having an experience now so these little subtle tweaks that you know just kind of slide below the radar and you're just like huh okay well that's what that that i think because i look i think one thing that makes like core and i's business unique is mm -hmm. all of the time mm -hmm. 
I'm it, it, to the point that it is uh, yeah, like oh the consumers like what do they want like what are they thinking about this right how are they perceiving that how are they feeling yeah yeah you know I mean it is a constant like I think about it every day and I think most martial arts school owners don't mm -hmm. do that well and you can see I mean it's just it's not just in technology it's everything and you can definitely tell the companies that are really focusing on like you know, simply called user experience and that's what we um when i was working in social media as far as like designing websites and doing that uh they would call, there was a term that they would use called intuitive design is like you shouldn't have to think about it mm -hmm. you just sort of know where to go you know where to click you know and you're and sometimes you tilt the board so you get them to naturally click in a place that you want them to click or do, you know, and you would really focus on how do they feel when this thing's done. And you can see companies that focus a lot on that and companies that don't focus. Case in point, uh, and mostly I just want to bitch about UPS right now. Um, they drive through my yard sometimes, like through the grass. I had to get it gravel put under mm -hmm. the grass. Yeah. I, I ordered, I got back to school. Uh, I was looking for like a new, like, beard trimmer clippers thing and I couldn't find what I wanted you know locally so I was like I'll just go on Amazon and order it and this hat because uh, I need I need a new because I, I just wear these hats to wear them out and I just buy another one and um, I order this thing and get a get the email hey your package is getting delivered today out to the cabin okay great and I'm at work and then later in the day I get an, an email it just says hey try to deliver it to your uh, house and uh, there's something wrong with the address couldn't deliver it well that's strange let me go check what maybe maybe the address is wrong something's off nope right address so um, all right well let's call you know see what's going on and uh, they um, get a call center which is um, in a different country and you're talking to the, you just know, whoever. Pretty standard. Just pretty standard, which, yeah, which, okay, fine. Um, everybody's got, you know, people in other countries need a job too, so it's fine. Um, but then it was like, hey, what's the what's the deal? It's like they said that it's not the right address, but it is the right address. And they're like, I don't, I don't know, we'll, but we'll just try to deliver it again tomorrow. And uh, I get the next day comes, no package, get another email. The address is wrong. It's not wrong. This goes on for a week. Like, I, I'm literally, and I get more and more frustrated as days go on and a little crankier with the call center folks. And I know it's not their fault, but I don't, because I asked when I was like, is there a local number that I can call to figure this out? Because um, it's not like, I mean, because I can just go on Google Maps and find my address. It's not like it's hidden. And I've, you know, and they're like, no, no, there's not. You can't, you can't call anybody. Which is kind of like the Facebook problem. Every if you have problems like somebody hacks your account, yeah. you're like, "There's no number to call. I need yeah. to get this worked out." Uh, and so you, I got caught in this loop of they're like, "No, your address is wrong," but it's not wrong. And uh, finally, uh, like a week into it, I got another call, and I just I just kept on them. They're like, "No, your package has been at this like customer service center for a week. They haven't actually tried to deliver it." That happened to me. And uh, the same thing. They did the same thing, and they're like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Well, I'm just going to drive down to Little Rock and get this thing." And uh, the first one goes, "Now that'll cost you an extra ten dollars." At which point, I just lost my shit on this poor soul because I, you know, I was frustrated. It's nothing. These are first world problems. Um, 
but it was you're caught in this loop that you can't get out of and and it's a it's a user experience thing um i can't get i'm I'm stuck in a loop and um eventually like later that night uh they're like we'll send a message and we'll have and somebody from the local office like well we look for your package we couldn't find it which means it's probably on a truck so it should get delivered tomorrow (laughs) i'm just like did it get delivered yes and no I uh, I got a phone call from him, and it just says UPS. That was the other thing. I get a call, it says UPS on caller ID, um, and they they like, hey, is the is your address this or is it this? And I was like, it's it's this one, and and that's like that other address. I'm like, that's my parents' address. They live about a half a mile up the road from me. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. All right, I don't know why. It's like I don't even know how their address got in, but whatever. Uh, I was like, no, it's this, and I was like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna deliver my package. And uh, never came. Then a uh, little while later, you know, and later in the afternoon, I get a text from my mom. She's like, hey, uh, we have a package here for you that was delivered here, and the package is just completely ripped to shreds. Like, the box is just completely torn up. Uh, but the funny thing about it is there was a new label on it where they changed the address to my parents' address. Because I peeled it off, and I was like, yep, there's my address underneath it. So somebody, I don't know who did Change the address so they could deliver it to a neighbor because they wouldn't. And I, and I, and I've got a relative who works for UPS. I'm like, I wonder if it had been thrown off of the, you know, like the robberies and things that are going on on the, like when stuff gets to the coast. Uh huh. Have you looked into that? Yeah, no, but I I mean, nothing on the, like the, the stuff was inside was fine, but like the, it was like, it was like the UPS driver was just like, hey, I'm just going to show you how much I hate you right now. And I'm just going to rip your stuff to, to so shreds. What, you know, I wonder, like, uh, th- there's a lot of things like this uh-huh. going on. Like, the other day, like, something for the gym. Like, it was just yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever, ever had anything for the gym from Century Martial Arts, where we do, like, 90% yep. of our our stuff from, mm-hmm. delivered to my house. Never. Right. One time. They shouldn't have my home address. Right. Yes. I set up my Century account in 2012. Uh-huh. When you didn't live at that address. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and then have been through multiple gym addresses, and they have always delivered here. Mm-hmm. But they deliver, and it had on the label my home address. And But there has just been mass shipping problems. Like Century, their their problem partially is they, did, they make their own belts and a lot of things in-house. Mm-hmm. But the products that they get to make things with uh-huh. you know one ingredient might be from wherever and it's delayed mm-hmm. so all the belts are delayed or yep. whatever yeah but that's a micro example like there is uh, I saw this in LA like um, the sh- you know they're unloading these shipping containers and putting mm-hmm. the stuff on trains to be taken to like shipping centers and stuff mm-hmm. and they are just getting robbed as they come off and like people are just throwing boxes off the side of these cars and uh, things they don't want and they're like targeting specific boxes and Mm -hmm. electronics and but it just was baffling and that was going on like later 2020 early 2021 Mm -hmm. but there are all of these shipping issues and i've gone into different causes like looking at like the you know um when there was that block that uh, of things going through right that but it's like okay well that was a long time ago shipping lanes have changed a little bit right what do you know about 
one of the things I know, um, and, I, and I mostly think about it from the food industry. Um, grew up on a farm. My dad was a produce broker. My brother works for the USDA. Um, I'm the outlier because I'm, I'm not the agri guy. Um, but um, one of the things that's changed with distribution is is warehouses and the lack of warehouses. Uh, in the food in the food industry, you they really when like the rise of like Tyson and Conair and these these kind of companies, they started centralizing food, Americold, all, all of these things, and so they started building these like huge centers, um, process and store and ship out food, and all these distribution center type things. Um, but you know, like there's only like three slaughterhouses in the United States, um, and these things are built and they're super efficient. But the thing is, and and as far as the warehousing is, like with parts, not just food, they realized warehouses aren't cost efficient. And so they started really honing down their logistics to like a part is produced, it goes on the truck, it goes straight to the store, whatever. There's no, we don't store things. Um, which, you know, a warehouse is kind of like a battery. Um, you know, if there's a low you've got a reserve that you can draw from until that low resolves. Um, and so these ultra-efficient, massive distribution networks that we have now, they work great until they don't. Um, because when they don't work and something comes in, it creates just this domino effect of just fuckery um, where everything falls over it because it can't, it, it doesn't have any flexibility. Yeah. It's like, it's just a, it's like a, it's like a German car. It's so finely engineered that once if something goes wrong it just cascades well it's just like think uh here's a metaphor too like you you put a kink in the water hose mm -hmm. and the water kind of stops running out but it's still running out a little bit right and then you let it go on a bunch runs out right that was i feel like happening with um produce mm -hmm. uh, like with what you're saying on shipping and distribution um Man, for the longest time, and still a little bit, it's like the the produce, grapes, fruit, stuff like that. I would get, it's like when it would get to my house, mm -hmm. or I would be looking at the store. It's like this shit was ripe like yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, like it got to the store too late. Um, something I bought, like, um, well, I'm always looking at the dates. Like, uh, I'll get, we'll get like some salad mix sometimes. Right. And it's like the, the expiration date is tomorrow. And I'm like, I used to work in Walmart. I'm grabbing the one from way back here. Yep. yep. And it's like, oh, next week. Yep. You know, and, um, but that sort of stuff. Uh, but then too, like I'll be noticing on, in those, uh, situations, I'm not able to find the one for next week. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did. I could not find an expiration date on some yogurt I bought recently mm -hmm. on like the outside of the box. It had been expired for like a month, it, and I bought it from the shelf at Walmart. Right. So yeah, I you know like I said that stuff works until it doesn't work. I th really, I don't know. Maybe I don't, I don't know. My gut tells me there was this really big push in the seventies and eighties to centralize all these things. Um. Like if you go around like meat meat packing, you know, even now you can drive around and see all these old um, um, slaughterhouses that were like local. Everybody, you know, every county had somebody had a butcher of some sort, some kind of slaughter facility. Um, a lot of those got run out of business, changes to USDA regulations. Um, but I see that stuff kind of coming back. Uh, I think especially after people have kind of sat back and watched a lot of these distribution networks crumble. 
the answer to that is you decentralize it. Um, you don't just have one massive, you know, meat producing plant in North Dakota that supplies, you know, a third of the country. Um, you start breaking that down. So if one goes down, you still have all the others. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is not doesn't seem as efficient, but at the same time, I think this is kind of like uh, the same the same organizations we're talking about, like um, you know, Amazon allows somebody to make something from their home and then turn around and sell it. So now you can be a local producer of a thing, whatever mm-hmm. the widget or gadget or thing it is, and you can turn around and sell it. Etsy, Amazon, there's whatever. many sites. Any of those, like yeah. And so the technology now exists that you can. Um, decentralize a lot of these things and I think this is these are some of the big things like the big box stores are now having to grapple with um, there are certain things you're not gonna like you're not gonna find well, I don't know I say that I'd say you're not gonna buy bananas locally if you're in you know the Midwest but it's somebody somebody may create a you know greenhouse type facility at some point that they can do stuff like that who knows I don't know um, but uh, I just kind of think it, it, going back to what we're talking about is kind of these evolutions in technology um, I think part of what happens is it, you know, kind of the horse gets away from the cart a little bit and it's fine until it doesn't. And then they have to, you have to step back and go, all right, change is happening so fast. Yeah. Um, we got to figure out how to like step back a little bit, course correct, and then move forward again. And mm-hmm. I think, I feel like right now we're, we're, we're walking into one of those times where there's, you know, increasing destabilization, um, I think COVID, um, whatever your thoughts on COVID itself, the, what you, how you saw society, uh, react, um, uh, not just the U S globally, mm-hmm. um, really put some, you know, a, um, innovative mind will go, okay, these were, these were the problems that I saw. How do we not do that again? Um, how do we not run out of toilet paper? How do we not, you know, have these little, meltdowns mm-hmm. um i don't know that's that's the innovation and um but you got the technology now that can do a lot of that yeah it, it, you know too like woods and i talked a while back about technology and how it's could be applied um in a better way to voting mm-hmm. right like there there are all of these things in our society that we are not <laughs> utilizing right but for whatever reason uh, uh fear of change uh paranoia of tr- being tracked mm-hmm. like that's the number one thing like everybody's like your daddy your daddy your daddy and i'm like yeah what the fuck are they gonna do with it mm-hmm. you know like it, it, and i mean i guess they could like blackmail me to be a spy or something make me break the espionage laws and all sorts of stuff like that but i mean see I, you know but that gets into the that's that strange thing, especially because you don't think about like the from the information standpoint, partially because you're an American, but you know, same technology gets used in a different country, so it gets used in Venezuela, and you know the ruling party's like, all right, who didn't vote for us? See, that's the big yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, so let's just go ahead and or take... with the Roe Wade uh, discussion recently yeah like the the period tracking apps and stuff like uh, there was similar sentiment surrounding mm-hmm. uh, that situation. Now, the the thing is, these are, it's always the build a better mousetrap thing. So, you know, the the one level of the voting, and I, I get it. Uh, people are like, how do you know if 
it's if it's electronic voting if it's all computerized how do you know it's not getting hacked and manipulated and so you know because you never know concern you don't know how the person next to you voted you you might think you do but or the people in the next county over and whatever and so and it leads when you that trust in that institution breaks down you get what we saw last election um whether it's you know for if it's legitimate or you know hyperbole um whatever happens people you know it doesn't really matter what's true it kind of more depends on how people react to the thing and so that becomes a concern it becomes a concern of retribution um because when i was working in mexico or yeah when i was working in mexico like a lot of the people that i met were um especially the, the ones from africa that were coming over were like political seeking political asylum because they were on they found themselves on the wrong side of the ruling uh class and uh those are things we don't really think about in a quote-unquote civilized western democracy yeah you know i do this kind of all goes back um i think about things through this lens right now in the recent weeks right Mm -hmm. i'm already starting to see a lot more um open display of confederate stuff yep right like because and then also and i mean it's there's just a correlation like trump flags fuck biden flags Mm -hmm. etc like ramping up for yeah like literally i saw a fuck biden flag the other day oh my my next door boat neighbor in texas had one yeah so but but that stuff it, it seems to really be ramping up on the trucks like the flags i'm starting to see this stuff yep be um stands on the side of the road mm-hmm. when it's the timing of you know gearing up about two years out yep from the old uh 2024 but um man i'm just uh that that sort of stuff it created a serious divide in society last mm-hmm. time around mm-hmm. with the pandemic and um, the r- riots in Wisconsin and, and everything, right? So, right. Or, or was it it was Wisconsin, then it was also um, Michigan, mm-hmm. or was it Minnesota? Minneapolis. Uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, but the the civil unrest and then the riots all across. Like I remember. Mm-hmm being at my house on a Sunday and like looking at the lives and like all like of like people just like you and I like we were talking about earlier streaming live in mm-hmm. DC and just following everything that was going on there's this umbrella ban and, and and literally like I was looking at the breakdown as a contested election and I'm like drawing all of these correlations between either 1968 mm-hmm. or 1860 mm-hmm. but like you know what is a modern civil war 2024 look like or 2020 or whatever and 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 how close did we did we come to one and you know this uh, why did i bring that up it's like well why are these people flying civil war memorabilia Uh you know it's like people want to act like i'll be saying this sort of stuff and Mm -hmm. the links aren't there and i'm like well damn not only are you not flying the Confederate flag, you're flying Robert E. Lee's battle flag. I don't even have time to get into that. Uh-huh. Right? Like, right. And if I did, you wouldn't listen. This is a real conversation somebody I care about. Like they were like, mm-hmm. say, you know, kind of disputing some of this. And 
I was just like, have you ever read a book on the Civil War? Um, and they were like, no. I re- you know, because there's always been, like, within the U.S., you know, there's always been Democrat versus Republican. And if you try, you know, God, the thing I can't, it, it just drives me nuts when I'm like, well, the Republicans are the party of Lincoln. Well, not actually um, in name. <laughs> but let's go back to uh, Nixon and, you know, doing the big switcheroo. But um, I heard, so there's always been competition and fine good competition Com- competing ideas great perfect I, you know um but i remember hearing and this is probably 10 years ago maybe i don't remember when it was um alan west who was then he was a i think he was a congressman from texas um he's still seeming like fox news doing commentary every now and then but he remember he referred to the democrats as the enemy and I just remember like that word enemy. And I was like, that's not my distinguished opponent. That's, I was like, that's not competitive language. That's the other, that is civil war language. And I was like, that's, I just remember thinking that's a problem. Um, and it's just getting ramped up. It's ramped up. And again, the snow, this snowball, um, stuff that's just kind of coming along. Well, th- this is like, well, what is treason? Uh-huh. Sort of the idea. Like, we, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday. Like, what, um, they were, somebody's like, what do you think would happen uh, if Donald Trump caught some charges with this mm-hmm. recent thing? And I was like, well, you know, usually what would happen is the next president would give him a pardon. Right. And, and like, we were like exploring different outcomes of like, well, you know, what's going to happen in this next upcoming election? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen with, uh, you know, uh, like if he needed a pardon now, would Biden give him one? Right. You know, what if what if Biden doesn't get elected, but there is another Democrat in there after him and Trump doesn't win? What happens? There? Right. Like we're just kind of alternate reality exploring those situations. But uh-huh. um, that's the stuff like when I look at history and, mm-hmm. and, and scholars that are experts in World War One or whatever, it's like, yeah, this is the outcome no one thought about. Like, that's why it went down this way. Uh-huh. Like, we were looking at this situation at the uh-huh. time, and we did not see that, you know, that was going to be just the beginning of the that's, end. Uh, I, read, <laughs> I read a book recently. It was, it was a, one of the biographies on Hemingway. It's called um, Rider, Sailor, Soldier, Spy. Mm. Uh, and it's about Hemingway's time, basically, as a double agent. Uh, and it was the... He did, you know... Hemingway did some sketchy stuff um, and part of it and he was trying to justify it. he was you know he was he was never a communist but he was a bit of a communist sympathizer um, but one of the things and I knew he wrote for like whom the bell tolls about the Spanish Civil War and I never really had thought much about the Spanish Civil War um, just not something you typically learn that much about in eighth grade yeah uh, you know history what I didn't realize until I read that is really the Spanish Civil War was the predecessor to World War II. Uh, and it was, you had, you had a functioning republic and then, then an uprising by some generals who were fascist in nature. Mm-hmm. And then what ended up happening is all like the Western powers, England, France, mostly just sort of ignored it. Um, just do that. Just say hands off, we're not getting involved. And so what happened was Hitler was on the rise at this point in Germany. So Nazi, the, the, the Nazis 
started supporting the uh, the generals. And then so there's this sort of rise of fascism creeping up. And then the Soviet Union comes in to back up the, uh, the sitting republic, which was left-leaning. And so what you had right there in the Spanish Civil War is really a proxy war between Nazi Germany and Russia. Um, Hemingway got involved because, and he was, that was one of the things he was writing. He's like, ah, you guys need to pay attention to this whole Hitler thing. Um, this is not, this, this is not, y'all need to pay attention. And he was getting really frustrated, uh, with American politicians and British, Britain especially, um, about their non-involvement. And, you know, they're like, once this breaks loose, it's going to be too late for you guys. Um, uh, and then when it did, when World War II, he's like, I don't feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for you at all. Um, but he started, uh, he started doing a little bit of a side, um, the, uh, predecessor to the KGB approached him and was looking, trying to get information out of him. Cause he was working in Spain as a journalist at the time and had access to a lot of stuff, but it was really, it was that, um, it was a proxy war. And so now I look at that period of time, um, and kind of the buildup of what was going on and the kind of competing ideologies of the time. And I'm looking at today. And I'm like, there's, there's some similarities to draw from. Like you can, definite parallels, man. That's, I joke with people all the time that taking Woods for espionage made me like not believe in anything anymore, uh-huh. like that. And then just a few other co- courses, like uh, like Vietnam War. Like once you like really let the cat out of the bag on somebody on the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and then you start looking around with like Afghanistan and Iraq, and, and you're just like. Oh well, we yeah. I mean, we had this point after the after World War Two. Once we inter- introduced atomic weapons, um, you know, all-out war between first-tier states, you know, moved to proxy wars in other countries, and so we compete. You know, so we don't fight on our homeland. We we, we fight in, in Syria because it's you know it's just Syria, and that's. You know, but maybe we can get some democracy maybe, over in and around maybe, there. Uh, Just maybe not there, but right, nearby. Nearby. You know, we already got some kind of nearby, nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, too. So, I, I think uh, this is this is something that I want to know. Uh, like uh, Tarver, the reason I was doing these podcasts for him, he's going to mm-hmm. come and do a podcast talk about his research. But there's this big cache of Cold War Venezuela documents that uh-huh. have been declassified because I'm 50 years old and like everybody that is a scholar on Venezuela which Tarver is mm-hmm. and uh, but there's like these new guys that are like a little younger than me you're my age mm-hmm. and then there's like several people Tarver's age and a couple people in between and they're just losing their minds about these declassified documents because it's changed the way they looked at certain things like certain thesis statements that they may have made their you know and then this next batch of historians are like oh we're going to revise it right you, you know and then the older historians too they're like oh so are we mm-hmm. uh but man that is um you know as stuff becomes declassified i want like uh i think it was maybe it wasn't you um but imagine uh, that we're talking about all the stuff that died with uh hw bush mm-hmm. right but look at somebody like dick cheney Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know, I mean, I know a little bit about how he got into the White House, who he was before he was vice president, but I want to know more about, like, where, I want the Dick Cheney tapes, you know, you got the LBJ tapes, like, right. I want the tapes from that dude's office in 50 years or whenever, 
right? And Can you even imagine? <laughs> imagine, like, I mean, well, and two, mm-hmm. imagine all the stuff that they are, like, I remember they released some stuff uh, about JFK. Um, mm-hmm. How long ago has it been? Um, it was like right when Trump got in office, actually. Mm-hmm. And then they were delaying releasing it, and then they did release it, but there was like a whole bunch of stuff that they redacted. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to say like a couple of thousand pages or something. Yeah. <laughs> but they did release a bunch of stuff too. But, you know, what is the amount of time before the truth comes out about things like that? Because if it's 50 it's, years and the government's still not doing it 50 years later, you know, like right. when are we going to see, uh, like we saw the Emmett Till, um, like an arrest warrant that was never delivered that was found in the basement of a courthouse for mm-hmm. this lady. Right. Um, but she's, you know, 80-something years old. Is it going to be like when they were putting to, putting away, um, you know, uh, Nazi, uh, former Nazis, like when they were in their 80s and 90s? You, you, you ever yeah. seen that movie Apt Pupil? Mm-hmm. That like that's a that's an interesting uh, movie for uh, plot, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brad, uh, that dude. Um, what was his name? Brad. Brad Renfro. Mm-hmm. He died uh, mysteriously. Maybe a dude. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Tom and Huck, dude. That was my my jam when I was a kid it's on Disney Plus. I watch it. <laughs> I watch it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, dude, you're 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 a Mark Twain guy. You told me what his name means. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Like, and now, like, people say something about Mark Twain. I bet nautical term. <laughs> like what? Yep, marking the Twain. Mm-hmm. And, and no one ever knows. And I'm like, it's no big deal. There's a forest named after it. But this is this is why. Yeah, this is why I get paid the mediocre bucks. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, man, you know, I still have not gone down the Hemingway rabbit hole, but I, I need to because mm-hmm. he, he does come up. Like when I was taking Gleason for um, like 14 to 45, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, he comes up in the notes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just in mention. Uh, and then, too, I, I had her for another class. Uh, it was like uh, the Gilded Age and the Progressive Era. Mm-hmm. She might have brought him up then, too, but like just about culture like you know things that are going on what was it what were his years of i mean he drove an ambulance in world war one right yeah so he uh he originally tried to enlist for world war one but his eyesight was so bad they wouldn't take him and so he got a job with red cross uh, i think he was 19 and i think it literally lasted like a week and his ambulance got blown up and so he ended up he had like a bunch of like shrapnel on his leg um I wonder if he re- did he regret his decision. No, I don't think. I th- well, I think his his big thing, and this is I think where it shows up later during the uh, Spanish Civil War, is he always he really wanted to be a fighter. He wanted to be he wanted to be a soldier, and he just never had that had chance. And so he, uh, you know, he eventually recovered. Um, the romanticism that comes with that. It's always uh, something I, I comment on that is hard to understand for me. I never wanted. I, I knew people that wanted mm-hmm. to wanted, go do that. They want to go to war and prove themselves, and or or, or this the notion that it's an, an adventure. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Like for somebody that's never been out of Arkansas mm-hmm. and they're 18 years old. I mean, and two, the recruiters they're getting them when they're 15, 16, 17. Like, hey, you should do ROTC. Hey, right. you know, you should join the National Guard when you're still in high school. Hey. Right. Give you ten thousand dollars, and then what most of them find out is it's it's not anything like what the brochure 
You said, you, yeah. Said but, you know, and the thing was, uh, with Hemingway, though, you know, he just got a little bit of taste of it. He got to see, and I think he had, one of the things that it's pretty obvious about him, he loved to fall in love, and that was, that could have been women. It also could have been things like um, fall in love with fishing, fall in love with the sea, fall in love with war. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and he always had this thing about, you know, sort of, man dealing with suffering and rising up and being brave and and, and and so I think he saw a lot of humanity and some some of the biographies I've, I've read about him that's kind of where, where he always ends up he's like you see all of humanity in war like every every version of it um so he was part and he just really yeah that's an interesting thesis too because yeah. um you know you look at things like uh wars are examples but like uh, revolutions mm -hmm. i've been doing putting together a ton of stuff on the french revolution mm -hmm. and it's like there are wars going on in the background but there's revolution going on right here mm -hmm. you know so, but that, like just um within you know any institution you can kind of um look at the human experience and the the like the tragedy of like i mean i was thinking about that just like more generally ge just broad based mm -hmm. um yesterday it's like the the concept that like really nothing does last no the, you know so but and it's like and we're all um staring that in the face every day it's like uh i, I saw a meme it was by steve-o the mm -hmm. jackass guy mm -hmm. and it was like basically like oh uh, you know Number one thing we have, will to live. You know, uh -huh. like we don't want to die. The the number one thing that's going to happen, uh -huh. going to die. There is a kind of tying, we've been kind of all over the place topic-wise, but one of the things, going back to the technology and how things change, uh, there's a quote that I, I, it's, um, we're paleo, we're, we're, we're organisms with paleo, paleolithic minds living under um, medieval institutions trying to cope and cope with uh technology with godlike powers for real and that's a great like hit it on the head and that's why joe rogan i think is conspiratorial about like like okay the mm -hmm. concept of the rapture mm -hmm. like how you know that take like he the way joe rogan talks about it like basically whether he's saying aliens or whatever whoever right. whenever the great filter is going to come through the technology that we have created yeah yeah, that yeah, will be the revelation. We're giving we're giving birth to a new organism. It's yeah, the, just, the sex organ of the machine. That's what he always says. Yeah. Like I've heard him say it like dozens. Of times. Well, and it's uh, I don't know. And it's like every every civilization, um, has to shed its skin at some point. And we're like we've had too much change, um, and we're just we're too much too fast. Too much too fast, and we're just not capable of, and it's causing all this disruption. And, you know, and disruption can be a good thing. Uh, but it can also be a bad thing. But sometimes you have to go through a terrible thing before the new thing emerges. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't. And so I'm, I'm kind of. So I've been really sort of paying attention to like the World War One era, like the 20s going into the 30s, um, or the teens going. I'm sorry, the teens going into the 20s, and then that that'll just sort of the rise of certain kinds of personalities. Um, kind of the same sort of conversations of what's going on in the world now compared to then. And then it's so, because it, I don't like to make Civil War comments, but it's like, you know, when it comes, it's not if, it's when, um, you know, what's it look like? And it's not going to look like 1860s. 
Um, I mean, do you just add trucks into the mix? It's well, already like 15 times more weird. I think it's. I think what it's going to look like is more like Ireland. Uh, yeah, we we I think we actually did discuss. Yeah. I've heard this theory from you before. Yeah, I think it's going to look like you know the IRA and you're you're going to see it's, it'll be more well and uh, or you know that with uh, maybe there's a great uh, documentary about the reconstruction on mm-hmm. PBS. It's actually a few years old, three or four years old, but um, I can get you access to it mm-hmm. in, in my cloud if you want, but. Um, Basically, they start off with this um, shooting in a church, mm-hmm. a white church. Yep. All right. Uh, Mother Emanuel. Uh, this church, that was 2015, I think it was. But that's the links that they draw, like, all the way back to Reconstruction. And, you know, Cor and I were in Memphis, trained Bill Wallace two weekends ago, and we went native BB Kings, they mm-hmm. the greatest ribs. And... I took a picture of the sign. Um, we drove past the marker of the, um, the, and I was glad the sign said the Memphis Massacre, mm-hmm. right? Because the history book calls it a race riot. Mm-hmm. Like, like what the fuck? Like, why does the history book call it a race riot? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, every historian's like, it's a massacre. Yeah, <laughs> and then the book's like, race riot. Cause it, it, makes yeah people don't get as mad uh i know like that's the that's the sort of that that bothers me um but the sign said massacre and i was like yes the court this is take picture this is a massacre and and there's another one just like at new orleans Uh and and it was really when the soldiers who had fought Uh for the union Uh were coming back Uh and the saddest stuff man but yeah like what you're saying and it's like too you know an event like Reconstruction, like the war is over, right? But it's like, um, th- like there's an Arkansas historian who talks about the Civil War and the Ozarks, the mm-hmm. real war. Mm-hmm. But it's like maybe Reconstruction was the real war, right? You know, it's like there was the real, the, yeah, the Civil War. Everybody, like, oh, we have it pitted on the battlefield. You, mm-hmm. but then there was like the guerrilla fighting that was always going on that continued long after, and that was the number one fixture along with the KKK and mm-hmm. uh, militia. Uh, being stood up all over the south the that's what spun reconstruction into this radical just off all over the place yeah but um man that that documentary it traces the roots of what what we're we're talking about now Mm -hmm. right civil unrest what 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 is the what's the outcome of this like when you do piece it all together across that timeline of like you know 1865 to present and you start looking at these church shootings and um you know uh protests and rallies and we're yeah. going to guard this confederate statue and, right. and you start putting all the pieces together it, it it's head scratching to say the least and and then it's like well what 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 is going to be the difference is going to be you know um bombs is the only thing we're missing is it going to be more church shootings um school shooting type you know yeah yes uh there was um one of the things that helps me is just to look at see the rest of the world uh let's you know how's can i find examples of things that are going on that have happened in other parts of, of the world um one of the most enlightening things for me to under understand Amer- the American Civil Rights Movement was to go to South Africa and go to um, and follow the apartheid um, stuff because that happened in my lifetime. Didn't you break your camera on the way? I did. I did. Uh, 
but I fixed it with super glue. Yeah, that's uh, great. You really have done that before. But we went to this. We were in um, we were in Johannesburg, South Africa, and there's a slum. See, the thing about South Africa is there's no middle class. And I don't know if I've, if I've told you about this in the past. You either drive a BMW or you live in a slum. Um, there's no in between. And um, during the apartheid um, era there was uh it was illegal if you were black it was illegal for you to gather for any political reasons the only reason you could gather was for a religious ceremony uh and so there was this big catholic church in this area called Soweto uh that people would gather and so they were gathering there um under the auspice of uh a religious ceremony but really other political rallies and you know the police knew what was going on and what would happen is they would try to think how big this church was. It probably, probably sat four or five hundred people. It's pretty big. Yeah. And there's probably, you know, and I'm I'm just making up numbers. It was probably filled to four times what its actual capacity should have been. Uh, and what would happen in these moments were the police would show up every exit with automatic weapons, and they would go, "You have five minutes to get out before we uh, start shooting." You know what happens when you do? You, you take. I'm just. Is, let's say it, it holds 500 and there's 2,000 people in there, and you got you got five minutes. What do you think happens? You just you get this mass hysteria and people stampeding toward the door, and it just turns into chaos. At which point, the police start shooting into the crowd. And this happened in essentially in Elaine, the Elaine massacre. Yeah. Uh, in Arkansas. In yeah. 1919. It's. Uh, but for they were organizing a union. Uh-huh. In a church house. Uh-huh. But, you know, you look at the Jew Jewish synagogues. Yeah. Like, that's where they do everything. It's yep. not just where they go to church. Right. You know. It's, it's a community center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. But but then, yeah, that's like, but, you know, the blending of, I mean, and we say it doesn't go on, but you and I know it does. But, mm -hmm. like, churches around here are blending politics into, oh, yeah. what, into yeah, what they yeah, say yeah, and yeah. do 100%. Yeah. And that's the story as old as time. Yeah. Right? Um. But uh, that there is these, it's a blending of these institutions, but we like act almost act like, oh, this doesn't go on and the, the separation of this. Or then you yeah. have the whole sect of people that are like, oh, we put, put this back in. Right. Uh, that, the divisions with that, too, you know, let's, let's sidebar on this. Mm -hmm. Seeing this stuff harder than ever the last day or two with the student on forgiveness, mm -hmm. of which... I got at least 10 grand knocked off, maybe 20, because I did have some Pell Grants. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, there are a handful of friends I have on social media that are posting about it. We'll call them conservatives. <laughs> okay. Because they are. Right. Um, and, man, like, it's just like, literally, I feel like I'm kind of uh, hard-ish to peg. I'm like, um, yes, you know. I have, a, like, a liberal set of values when it comes to, like, race and, mm -hmm. you know, society. Uh, but then, too, I'm like, I'm, I've been totally fucked over by the city government repeatedly since I've been in business. Right. Right. right? So it's like there's, uh, there's this conservative side to me, too. Right. Where it's like economics, but it's like I really don't like either group. Mm -hmm. um, and they're always bitching. And it's like... The people who got the loans forgiven aren't really saying anything. Some of them are like, woohoo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but th this other crowd is like, fuck that. 
It's a burden on me, the taxpayer. Uh-huh. And I I mean yeah, but at the same time, like, these are the people who believe that something like trickle-down economics, which has never been proven to work, they still believe that shit works. Mm-hmm. And, which, I mean, it's just like kind of a conflict. It's like, okay, let me tell you something right now. If I don't have 40 uh-huh. grand of student loan debt, uh-huh. my ass is putting more stuff in the studio. Uh-huh. You know, I'm putting that money right. back into the economy, the local economy, the uh, right that that whatever that monthly payment that I was sending off to Fannie Mae or whoever is uh yeah now going to Nelnet. It's going to uh, the uh, you know the local music store or whatever. Yeah, keeping them in the business. Yeah, they uh, closed. Uh, Olson's. Did. Yeah, I know. I got a ribbon mic from them and uh, that podium over there, mm-hmm. which I had refinished. I don't know if you you've been here but it is it matches the whiskey furniture now. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah so I don't you know I don't know I, I paid off my loans but I don't I don't I don't have any uh, and I, you know the thing about paying off my, my student loans I probably paid them over paid them back four times you with know, the interest with, with that's the, the sort of stuff it, that you know, like I do agree needs fixed with that uh, uh, for sure but <laughs> As far as the conservative crowd on that, especially the religious conservative crowd, I'm like, ah, you remember that whole like Lord's Prayer thing? I was like, forgive us of our debtors as we forgive those who have debts against us. You always <laughs> have a good metaphor on that. Uh-huh. Um, like you'd use the Jesus turning over the tables one uh-huh. time I saw. Uh, but yeah. You, uh, you know, the tr- the, uh, what do you use your religious upbringing? Do I? Did you have a religious I upbringing? I did. I grew up Methodist. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So, yeah. So I, I was, I was, I grew up in a different, I, I grew up in a fairly, call it progressive uh, church in a very conservative area uh, so grew up in Perryville and so the Heifer Ranch Heifer Project it was Heifer Project now it's Heifer International their ranch was there and so um, a lot of the people that volunteered at that ranch that came in from other places um, would go to our church and so I always had this kind of influence of outside people the Yankees would come in and Yankees um, but you know they're all kind of a little bit a little bit on the hippie side, but because uh, the whole deal with Heifer at that point was you could fund money like you buy a buy a goat and it would be given to somebody and you know a breeding pair of goats or cows or whatever a chickens would be given to somebody in whatever country and and it was always about kind of like that teach a man to fish thing all right mm-hmm. give them a fish and yeah. then, te- then also teach but also give them a couple starter fish to get them going uh, you know so it was that was always kind of the uh, underlining uh, theology in my, the world that I grew up in. is like, yeah, you know, just try to make the world a little bit better place. Uh, I always, I always say it, it was, I, I got taught more to keep my hands dirty rather than to keep my nose clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of the religious kind of uh, problems that people sometimes do when they would come to college and experience different ideas. Um, that's good it, I, yeah I didn't really either because like I was ready to for the, I always kind of was I was homeschooled till eighth grade and like I just basically like stopped talking to my parents until they let me go <laughs> receive that experience and now yeah. now like legit I'm such a, this is I think about it all the time mm-hmm. uh, but my unborn child uh, if I have a kid in the future I'm just mm-hmm. like oh fuck public schools like what? No, like what they're doing that now? Like uh, what? This like and then me mm-hmm. working for four years in, in in higher education, which the place I worked is essentially like a public school. Mm-hmm. That's the issue with it. Right. But um, 
I, you know, I look at the the parts of it that are antiquated and the parts that I have a problem with, but then like I think about my experience, but like I've always kind of like sought these other ideas and this other knowledge. I don't know. It's like been mm-hmm. like a, a ingrained in me. Like I realized that like 12, 13 years old, I'm like, this is the way out. Like mm-hmm. information, knowledge, uh, being able to interact with people. Cause that was the biggest thing I, I, in my opinion, I was losing out on was like, there was no social interaction. Like I had social interaction with my, my family, mm-hmm. like cousins, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and then my church. Yeah. And we went to a super small church for a long time. Then we went to a bigger church. Um, you know, the networks broadened, but still there's not, there were more people there my age, close to my age that I became friends with, but it's like, Back at the other place I went, there were no kids close to my age. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like you were, I wasn't getting that experience that kids do get at public school. But, uh, man, I, all the time I'm just like, I want to send a kid there for eight hours a day and make him sit in a desk. See, and, th- and this is what they're going to take away from it. And this <sighs> is social experience alone. Because I, I really, I have tons of problems with the information they're going to receive. It's like I'm going to have to end up coming back in here behind let's let's clean this up yeah which is fine like that'll be why they flourish you know but Mm -hmm. i'm just like the idea of public education from thomas jefferson's time to now i'm just like i still hadn't figured i'm still a really big proponent of like a classical education um and like even because i've even i don't have kids but i was like you know if i was if I had a kid, I would be taking that kid to as many places as I could. You want all right? You want to study the French Revolution? We're gonna go to we're gonna go to France. Let's see in Paris. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, we're gonna you know, we're not just gonna read about it. I want I want to take you there and get and get you. Exp- and that's a that's an entirely different kind of education than sitting your kid in front of a YouTube channel for you know eight hours a day of homeschooling mm-hmm. versus you know or whichever. You get your own flavor. Um, I had a former student kind of. Comp- not just kind of complaining the other day about, um, you know, all the gen eds that they had to take. I was about to, dude, I was about to go down this rabbit hole. And, uh, and, and it was, and I'm like, and they're like, college should be specialized. I should just have to take the classes that involve my major. And I wasted two years and all this money. And I'm like, and I was like, college has always been general. I was like, it's always been general knowledge. But um, I said, what you're describing is trade school. I was like, you, you're saying you wanted to go to trade school, not, and they're uh, like, well, I shouldn't have to take algebra. And I, I don't get in arguments on social media anymore. I just don't. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, um, you probably shouldn't have to take algebra. You should probably be taking like um, economics. Um, you should probably be taking something harder than algebra. Um, but, I, but the thing I really wanted to tell her was just like, look, you don't take algebra because somehow you're going to use all these numbers and letters later in life you do that because you're learning how to solve problems using certain parts of your brain mm-hmm. and that those processes that you're hardwiring doing that those kind of math problems will translate into way your brain functions to solve other problems that aren't algebra but you've got those little synapses that follow you know firing off um you know so you, there are things you do like why should anybody learn latin you know i, I took latin and greek um jealous I didn't finish Latin. Let's just let me go ahead. I, I tried. Let me try. I tried. I tried to take them in the same semester. That was a bad move. Uh, but I really liked it. Uh, I actually liked Latin better than I did Greek. Uh, but 
you know, why would you learn, you know, quote unquote, dead language? I mean, as a historian, Sanskrit. I, I, I mean, yeah, as a historian, you would, all right, there's reasons you would know because this is, this is the story of where we came from. Um, things and ways to think, ways to process. Okay, this is how I can understand my language better because I see its origin. You know, it's history. Yeah, no, that in history, those people are called philologists. Philologists. Yes. That's a the, fun word to say. Yes. Okay. Um, and let's be real, it kind of kind of sounds like penis. Uh, it's, a it's, a bit, it's a bit of a phallic sort of word, isn't it? It, it is. And I, I like, <laughs> I will say that because in the Osiris myth, there's this part about him getting his penis cut off. And there's a whole, there's a whole subplot about the penis. Okay. And, and it goes far into the future of the mythology, but phallus, that's what I say. I mean, mm -hmm. and I think that the college students did not know what a phallus was. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I mean, what I don't know what an optimum word would have been. PP. <laughs> they would have got that. They would have got it. But I thought about like every time I would get to that part, I'm like, all right, you know. And uh, then they just like never really like looked up or anything. So I'm like, they don't know what a phallus is. Uh huh. Anyway, <sighs> I don't know how we got off on that. I, we I, I started talking about Latin and Greek and. Uh, I don't know. Uh, philologists. Philologists. There we are. Yeah. Uh, the, the people who specialize in language and linguistics comes up as a sidebar. But forever, I didn't know there were philologists. But now it's like those words, like I hear that word a lot mm -hmm. in like my reading and studying. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what it means. But before I knew what it meant, it's just a word. Just, there's yeah. lots of words I knew. That wasn't one of them. I just uh -huh. went with the ones I knew. Mm -hmm. Like that's, like, that's how we work, man. We will assign meaning to to all of these words and we might not know what two of them mean mm -hmm. and and we're receiving reading whatever communication right that's uh an interesting trait of uh well just think about how many people read headlines um and share them but they don't read the article yeah there's uh in the news world there there's uh you have the scanners the skimmers and the uh full readers uh and the scanners will just like read headlines skimmers will like read the headline plus a little bit you know a couple of lines into it and then the people that go all all in uh will read everything um but all of them will share oh there's a headline i agree with yeah uh i'm gonna share it you know there was um like facebook has a feature now because there's something i like had seen and read mm -hmm. and then i was gonna share I, I, it came across it again later and i was gonna share it like like a few hours later mm -hmm. you know it might have been like on my work computer and then it, on my phone or something like that yeah but i went to share it and it was like you haven't read this article are you sure you want to share it oh. and i was like but i have <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah yeah it was a cool but that's the sort of stuff though um stopping the spread of misinformation mm -hmm. i mean because it, it could be misinformation and, and you won't know unless you read it right like maybe if you just are you're just biting on a headline um like things like the onion or babylon b or whatever like those things too like people were doing that with those right like oh uh, you know they would see something in line with like what the what you might expect from one side or the other mm -hmm. um and it would uh but that that is i don't know where, where are you at on misinformation right now you think we're making strides i don't know um see the it's real easy to romanticize old journalism 
you know, there was kind of this golden age of journalism where, um, and really it was actually right after the sinking of the Maine, um, is when like they had the, like the Hertz Pulitzer, you know, wars, newspaper wars, um, that print journalism had really gotten out of hand and they sort of, the editors kind of like, Hey, we, we need to reel this back in because we literally just helped to start the American, you know, Spanish American war, um, based off of headlines. And, um, so they did, you know, they started incorporating ethics within the journalism that weren't there before, because really, you know, especially in the early days, it was, they were, they weren't really journalists. They were printers and they were printing whatever they would do to sell papers. Same thing. They're looking for clicks. Uh, they're looking to make money. Benjamin Franklin being one of those guys, uh, had a financial interest in starting the American war, American yeah, revolution. Yeah. Um, he did. People uh, made, uh, Louis the 14th, uh, made, uh, or the 15th actually made chamber pots with Franklin's face on. Yeah. See, and then, so you get, so you go from one where you have like prior to that, prior to the American revolution, you have like seditious libel laws, you know, it was illegal to criticize the government. Get past that. You get, now it's opened up. You can say anything you want. And, you know, it's going back to the Spider-Man thing. Great power, great responsibility. Um, look at the Alex Jones thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great example. Exactly. Uh, you treat you treat this really powerful thing, and I would say like freedom of speech versus and, and like freedom to own firearms. You have this freedom, but you shouldn't ever take treat that thing carelessly. Um, but now you know the rise of social media, where everybody uh, you don't have to go through a major news organization to have a podcast or um, you know some kind of your own blog or you know a Substack, whatever it is um you know and so sometimes the editorial review is the person who wrote it and so mm -hmm. um and sometimes now it's even ai that's writing it i see this it, ad all the time uh, for it's like oh this this ai will write content for you yeah and uh it's so and and, and some of it's pretty convincing and it's you know and you get into all the things that help propagate it and then you get into human psychology of, you know, we we share what we agree with and we avoid the things that we don't agree with. And so we're trying to, we're looking for confirm it's confirmation bias. Um, so the question then becomes, um, like with, with, this, with social media networks, um, as part of the definition, are they a platform or are they a publisher? Um, I eventually came down to the, the side that they're publishers um, because it doesn't like if you if you're uploading your book to like Random House to publish like they're agreeing to pu publish whatever content on their platform mm -hmm. and so they're making you know, when they start making a conscious decision we'll publish this or we won't publish that the moment they start manipulating what they will and not even like objectionable content but we're like we want to push this because this is the thing that we want people like puppies are really we want angry cats or whatever the thing is the moment they start turning the dials and they're like we're going to promote that i get lots of puppy videos i get you know you click on one thing and and they'll, they'll push it so they're manipulate they're they're already manipulating the content that you receive so and so when like rogan and then we're talking about being you know shadow banned by the maybe some of that's happening but it's happening anyway uh because they're like oh this is a person who writes about I don't know whatever whatever the thing is and they're like ah, that's not really the thing we want to hear so we're going to turn the knob down on that but there's these kitten photos turn the knob up on that 
And, uh, you know, and that's where you get that. I, um, <laughs> case for I got an angry, not angry, uh, I used to do a lot of YouTube stuff. And I used to get thousands and thousands of views. You had like views. a viral channel. You're yeah, having, I, I, right? I used to, yeah, I used to, you know, I've got over, you know, I would get like over 100,000 views on some of my content. And, uh, and then magically one day it just stopped. Just stopped getting all those views. And when I would do videos, like I would put a lot of effort, you know, I may have 40 hours into a single little three-minute video that I posted up there. And, you know, and it goes from getting 100,000 views or, you know, 10,000 to 150, like the motivation to start putting mm -hmm. all that effort. And so I got this uh, email, uh, it, was a few, it was a couple of months ago. Uh, no, it's still about a month ago. Um, hey, we've noticed you haven't published anything to your YouTube account in six months. And you have a, I have a monetized account. And they're like, uh, if you don't start publishing, we're going to downgrade you to a non-monetized account okay uh and so i literally because i was uh i was diving down at key west i was doing the working down there i had a little video of some um nurse sharks when they're no i had a i'm sorry i had a video of a um, a manatee that was i just i was like oh now youtube wants shorts so they're trying to get into the whole tiktok game and then and, you know instagram is i was like huh let's just see and so I uploaded this 45 second, less than a minute long shot of an unedited shot of a manatee vertical video, which hurts my soul. Um, up, just, off. just immediately, like within 30 minutes, like 1,500 views. Uh, and I'm like, oh, so. And then I took another one a few days later of uh, some nurse sharks that were kind of were feeding. I got same. Literally, I shot it. I was walking down the dock. They're feeding it. I shot the video, uploaded it to, and I went ahead and uploaded it to TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube just to see. And it was just immediately like thousands of views on every one of those platforms for doing that, as opposed to something where I, like the last video I'd uploaded, you know, it was real high, it was polished, high end. Um, I thought it was really good, you know, maybe 100 views. Well, and I wonder if we're going to like, um, if it'll come in waves like that, right? Because like we're talking about the shorter form content, mm -hmm. but then too, there's obviously, man, there's tons of videos on, and it's a search feature, 20 minutes plus, whether it's uh -huh. documentaries or uh -huh. podcast or whatever, but there, there is this like longer forum niche. Mm -hmm. There's this also, there are the videos that are like, let's just say three to five minutes mm -hmm. and then there's the shorts mm -hmm. but i feel like we are kind of coming out of that three to five minute mm -hmm. and have been out of it and now we're in the shorts yep but i also feel like people can still tap the algorithms for these others based off of what i'm seeing out there mm -hmm. but i don't know yeah and it's the so it, at times you're always if you're in the content producing world you're always chasing algorithms and i had i just sort of had that the the thought one day you start thinking about like mark twain would mark what would mark twain do if you know his editor goes well, i need you to write for this algorithm he would just you know he would write something really sarcastic about the algorithm just to mock it and move on with his life it's like he's not he's not going to as a writer uh he wasn't going he wasn't going to change his writing style just to fit whatever the thing was at the moment and i and that's kind of the, where I got. Um, and sometimes it was like, ah, I just, 
I'm not going to produce garbage and just add to more garbage that's already out there. Um, you know, it's cool or not. I'll do little things here and there, but uh, it's. But as far as going back to the the uh, platforms, like they're dictating what we see, um, like it or not, they are. You know, with some little AI. It's and I don't think it's anything nefarious per se. It's all about what's going, what grabs people's attention, and and they've got enough AI to know exactly what it is you're looking at. Um, so when I post a picture of a manatee, I'm sure some AI thing recognized that as a manatee. Or when I posted a video of a shark, I there. want to see the barracuda that was swimming under the I, dock. I, see, that's, that's I've got to get a GoPro. Uh, that was such a good story. That was. I, I've thought about that a few times, and and like I even said something to Cora, I'm like, this is why I never get in the water. It was, uh, yeah. So for those who don't know, so I, I've I spent the summer living in Key West, and I got a job uh, diving and cleaning bottoms of boats uh, and doing maintenance on boats. Just think it's cool. I get I scuba dive five days a week. Um, you see, and you get to see the world from underneath, and you kind of act. I feel sort of like an astronaut. You kind of feel like an astronaut when you're scuba diving because you're mm -hmm. you're your buoyancy is if you do the weights right you're like neutral buoyancy so you're just sort of floating you know and you're breathing through you know we're using air compressors for this job um but yeah i swam out to this uh, i was cleaning a little swim platform at a little private beach at a resort and you know, it was probably like a 15 by 15 platform not real big and uh cleaning all the barnacles off so people crawling up don't get cut up down because it floats and I just like was what is that and I thought it was a big tarpon because the tarpon they were huge too and I was like oh no look at those teeth oh that's a bigger that's a, that's a big okuda and uh and he's just hanging out in there it's probably six feet long just big as me just hanging out and I'm just like the first thing I did was Google do barracudas attack people. Uh-huh. Because I had people, yeah, people were like, I hope you weren't wearing anything shiny. I'm like, doesn't matter if I was. It's not like he didn't know I was there. Yeah. Uh, but he was just, he was just, you know, he was hanging out literally in a shady spot underneath the, you know, staying out of the sun. And, uh, and I was just thinking, yeah, there's all these people swimming around me and they're having a good time. They're sunbathing up on the platform. They have no idea what's right here. And it was, you know, he didn't care. The stories that um, I've read and heard of people that f just on video have mm -hmm. read accounts uh, like primary sources of World War II, but like people that were in the Pacific mm -hmm. that are like out and there is nothing. There's, mm -hmm. there's just them on the boat and the things that they would see at night. Uh -huh. Kind of come up to the surface, whales, you name it. Uh -huh. But like, uh, like shine lights down into the water, be like a calm night, like just uh -huh. glass surface. Uh -huh. And man, and then you too, you think back to like even going back to like uh, Columbus, mm -hmm. like the, you know some of their reports of the sea creatures they were running into. I had was two different people. One was Marine. Both of them served on ships, sixties uh, roughly. One was one was in the navy, one was a marine, but they were talking about like uh, I think they're both aircraft carriers too. Uh, that's those, what that's the ones I hear the craziest they, they, stories they on for whatever. Threw reason. like a uh, side of beef. Both it was both of, two different people who don't know each other told these stories, and one of them was it was a they, side of beef that had gone bad, and they just tossed it off, and then they just watched. I guess it was a white shark. I don't know what it was, but they saw you know a side of beef is big. They just saw a white shark just hit it and just 
it's gone. Like you just cut it right in half. And it's like, it's the, you know, like just like a bass hitting a lure. Uh, it was just like as soon as it hit the water. And then another one was about a barracuda doing basically the same thing to a side of beef. Um, just punched a hole straight through it. <laughs> just like, mm, okay, well, you know, you're, and that's, and that's kind of the other cool thing about being in the, doing the scuba stuff is, uh, I am not the apex predator in that world. I am I am a quiet observer, and yeah. hopefully everything gets along with me. I'm sure nothing like that. Yeah, I joke with the, the students out here all the time. Uh, uh-huh. I'll tell some, like, morbid story. Or, like, uh-huh. we've been showing, like, nasty submissions and fights. Like, mm-hmm. we've been going over submission defense, and I'm like, watch what happens when you don't defend. <sighs> you know, but um, after I get done going into this, I'm like, this has never happened to us. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, <laughs> because yeah, man, like I look at, uh, Cora will be like, um, wanting to get me to do kind of crazy. She's a, she's a thrill seeker. Mm-hmm. She'll do anything loves. Like there's like some roller coasters that I just would not go on with her. Right. And I'm like, nah, that one's too, it's too much. It's too, but, um, I'm like, why well, take the unnecessary risk of the Barracuda? You know, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't mm-hmm. need the Barracuda. I, uh, first day, first day of that job, you know, I hadn't been scuba certified very long when I got it. And most of my stuff is all done in freshwater. You know, it's my boat. I would swim around my boat stuff. It was all snorkel. Um, but I would, um, first day the guy was like, don't worry. The bull sharks don't come out till like three o'clock. You know, we're getting in the water like at 7am and, uh, and at like four o'clock I was still in the water that day. And I just remember today's the day I die. That is it. I'm just because, you know, when you're cleaning, so the way you clean these things, I literally have a, a sawed-off plunger. Like, the handle's cut in half, and, I'm, and I use that to hold onto the boat. So you're always looking at the hull of the boat. And occasionally you just, I, th- I feel like I need to turn around. And you're just, you're always waiting to see what's going to be, like, just sitting there looking at you when you're, you know, because it's a big old ocean out there, and there's there's no gates out there to keep anything out. Mm. Uh, there are tons of gators around Key West. Not too. there. There, there are further up Keys, but in Key West, there's not. There's I haven't seen it. There's there's salt because Florida has saltwater crocodiles and gators. Mm. Um, yeah, mostly mostly the big stuff I was swimming around were nurse sharks, which, you know, they're the ones you always see people swimming with. Um, but what would happen in tarpon, and tarpon will hit. Like I threw my hose in there, and a tarpon like hit the hose like hard, like trying to bite it. Uh, and so I was like, oh, okay. Now I just know slide into the water slowly. Don't jump in so you don't they don't mistake you for mm-hmm. a quick bite. Uh, yeah, because all these things have teeth. Well, so I've seen like on um, diver cams, mm-hmm. you like talk about like looking around behind you. It's like how far is your visibility? Uh, in Key West, probably like 20 feet. Okay, yeah. Uh, and like at Corpus, it was like, you know, six inches. Yeah, see, so, like, yeah. in that lower visibility, but, like, when you see, like, something come out at uh-huh. you, it's, like, it's just like, Whoa. It's right there, yeah. You literally are parrying it if you don't want to get hit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, the, because uh, I was kind of nervous. Yeah, because you don't know how you're going to react when you see stuff. But I jumped in to clean a sailboat one morning, and it was still early. It was before the sun came up, so it was still, you know, early dawn. And, you know, that's one of the times you really don't want to be in the water. Uh, those are feeding times. Found out about that. Uh, no, it wasn't that bad. It was just big. It's like this big old sailboat. Uh, it's like a sixty-something foot sailboat, and I was I had to dive down to check the. Uh, so, saltwater you keep uh, 
anoids, zincs on boats. And so basically there's always electrolysis going on. And so you put, these are basically sacrificial lambs, keep it from eating up the metal parts of your boat. And, uh, and so they, they get eaten up, you have to replace them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I was going down to check to see if they needed to get replaced. And I got down below the keel and the keel on this thing, you know, keel is as big as this table. Um, and I just get down and I just look right below me and I just see sort of a little wiggle and it was, it was like a six foot, you know, it was just huge. I don't know, it was probably bigger than that. It was just, it was a huge nurse shark, uh, but everything was kind of, it was still dim. I couldn't tell it was a nurse shark. All I could see was the shark, the, because there's a very distinct shark uh, outline. But it was just like, and it just sort of wiggled, let me know that it was there because it was just sitting on the bottom. And uh, I was just like, hey, buddy, I'm just going to leave you over here. I'm going to go way over here. So when you decide that you've had enough and it's time to go, you just go. How away. deep is the um, harbor? Um, mostly 10 to 15 feet. So it's not too bad. Uh, and you can, the water's clear. So typically you can see until, you know, when you start swimming and cleaning, you kind of cloud things up a little bit. But mostly it's pretty clear. Uh, some of the places, yeah, some of the fun ones to dive are like out in the, they have a lot of houses on canals, and so those get to be deeper, and so you can dive down, like look for lobster and other critters. So. Yeah. Freaking me out, man. I don't know, it's one of those, it's, it's sort of weird, like, when I first started diving, I had to uh, get used to being underwater, because everything in my brain was like, ah. It is. It's so, like I was saying about you breathing. Yeah, you're, because you're like, this is, because you're, you're looking up, and you know, you're the surface of the water how um, conscious is breathing underwater on a tank like that versus like like i guarantee you we hadn't really thought about breathing since we've been sitting here. no when you start i'm very conscious of it um and you know if you're using a tank then you've got a dive watch you've got you've, you've got to pay attention to all that yeah, because you because yeah, if you think. use if you're breathing too hard you'll go through your oxygen too fast and so you really have to learn to control your breathing um when i was using an air compressor so i could just breathe as much as i want uh but at first, it's kind of nerve-wracking. And so, have you had like uh, anxiety doing it before? Right in the very beginning, like the very, like the very first time I ever dove, like during when I was getting trained, um, like I literally just had to kind of go down, sit on the bottom of a because we start in a swimming pool. I just had to sit there and just sort of close my eyes and try to just be in a meditative state because um, the first, the very first time I ever tried to, I just borrowed somebody's regulator and just kind of stuck my head under, and it was real murky water, and I was just like, nope, mm -mm, nope. You get this. You really kind of get this claustrophobic feel, and some some. Uh, well, there's some similarities there with jujitsu, but I, yeah. I don't want to go get in the water. With and it's you. just you know, and you just sort of. But eventually, like what I, I, it just got to be. I was really relaxed. Uh, you know, I would die for you know seven to eight hours a day, five days a week. That's wild. And uh, you know, like when's the first time you dived? Dove last spring. I mean, well, the first time I ever tried to dive was a few years ago. Just we were hanging out with some people on a boat, and they had a. They had a tank, and I just tried it out, and I was like, ah. Um, but that other, like, when I first got I got back in the spring, when I knew we were going to go to Key West, I decided to go ahead and get dive certified. Mm -hmm. And because I was like, because uh, I'm in Key West. And, uh, yeah, I just literally just had to go sit on the bottom of the pool and just sort of, like, you know, just sit there and just sort of breathe and force, force myself not to panic. Um because everything in you're screaming you're in the wrong spot but you know by the end of it i didn't even think about it at all it was just you know you just get out and throw your cell phone slide in you got that little moment of disorientation when you go from being above water and you're sort of looking around all right is everything cool 
so, so here's a something uh-huh. to think about with that. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday who's mm-hmm. uh, in psychology. Mm-hmm. So there's that idea, and I subscribe to it in jujitsu to an extent, like that if we do this thing that makes us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that we will not be uncomfortable. Right. Right. Like right. that, and, and it's like, oh, I just do more of it. But that's not a, a universally applicable thing. Like we were talking about some instances like there, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu, do more jujitsu, roll more. It makes sense. Right, right. What about this? Like, what about um, you're trying to tell someone that it's not okay? Um, let's say they were um, on a school trip and they're asleep and they wake up and somebody is rubbing their inner thigh. Mm-hmm. But you don't have that person's inner thigh rubbed to get them to teach them about that. I feel awkward just talking about. Yeah. Uh Okay. But so we were using that comparison for this. Um, A student here that moved here from Idaho is a purple belt. Mm -hmm. She's a school teacher at a local school and they're doing firearms training. Mm hmm. Uh, drills, um, active shooter drills, stuff like that. And part of the training, and I could tell that it was like, it wasn't like she was like super disturbed by it, but like I could tell that, you know, it was like some discomfort there. And like when she was telling me about it, but like part of the training was you have to hear what it sounds like when a gun goes off in the hall while you're in your classroom. Okay. But, you know, it's, so it's like, at what point is it, like what you're saying, like, I'm going to sit in the pool and get over this, or mm-hmm. I'm going to do jiu-jitsu and get over this, and then trauma, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, th- like I, I'm going to argue that hearing, that, that working in the school, and then the school saying, like, you need to hear shots going off is a part of your job, that's traumatic. It can be, I, it, but I, I get the logic, though. I do, too. But uh, I also put it in there with the rubbing the, the thigh. I, I'm not sure I would put it in that same category. Part of it is, because I had law enforcement training, um, one of the things, and I, I did my, uh, when I did my master's thesis, it was on school shootings. Um, one of the things um, that happens almost universally is when that first shot goes off, people try to turn it into something else. That was just somebody kicking a trash can. That was just a door slamming. And they don't, like, and, and, mm-hmm. unless you know, like, if you know that sound, um, like, you'll, you'll hear, um, like, one of the things I, I've heard soldiers, you know, military guys who have gone to places where they encountered, like, AK-47s being shot at them, like, they know that sound. Like, they know exactly what that sound is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a point, though, where you have... I think hearing that gunshot going off after you've already experienced may be tra- traumatic, but it's sort of like, all right, you're going to, if there is kind of prepped a little bit, um, you're going to hear this. I mean, I get that logic. As opposed to just, hey, by the way, in the middle of, you know, your prep hour, we're just going to start shooting a bunch of blanks out in the hall. That would be traumatic. Mm-hmm. I, I think how, how you go about doing that um, would be a better, but still. It's just, you know, and... I get it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I do get it. But then, like, 
for example, um, how many school shootings have there been in Arkansas? Oh, several. I mean, Jonesboro was the first. <coughs> Jones, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the, and that was like right around Columbine. Yep, nineteen ninety-eight. Um, I mean, we would say less than ten. Yeah, less than five. Mm-hmm. So why subject every teacher that's a good question. to that? You know, that's that's the side of it. I see. I'm like, it's. But then I get to, it's like, okay, it's probably not going to happen to all these people. Cause right. it's all, but, but then, too, you want to safeguard against it because it is happening elsewhere. It falls under that category of thing of the way that people respond to violence. Um, you know, think about how people respond to, like, natural disasters, like a tornado. I mean, some people, some people get super anxious in storms. Mm-hmm. Some people walk out on the front porch. I'm that guy. Uh, um... But there's, you know, it's um, the thing about shooting specifically. Do you remember the DC sniper? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, that thing had, or you know, the, a, a well-publicized serial killer will have people just absolutely losing their mind because it's it's this idea that it's random and also targeted. Uh, and we make some kind of distinction in our brain between, you know, even though the outcome between getting hit by a hurricane is the same. Um, or your house burning down or what was something, yeah. the outcome's the same, but our panic level and I guess our, our uh, fight or flight response goes way up uh, with this idea of a potential threat. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, because people don't get as panic, you know, statistically, it's far more likely that you're going to get killed in a car accident. But they don't, we're not in that panic mode for that. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, too. Here's another thing. Like, I was only speaking from the side of like um, social and intellectual experience on education earlier when we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. But this is like a whole other side to it, mm-hmm. you know. Like you, because like I, I do look at it from both sides. It's like, okay, yeah, um, sending, you know, your your child into that environment is in, while the teacher is going through these drills, and it's right. like. Uh, you know, is that something you want to do? Right. And um, that is, uh, man, this uh, weird uh, problems that we're having that I don't, um, you know, I think, to, to be honest, and it's controversial still, but I think the best idea I've heard is like, okay, you have a core group in the school, mm-hmm. and they are trained every year, mm-hmm. five or six people. Um, they are, you know... Maybe one of them's the IT guy. Maybe one of them's, uh, you know, she's a geometry teacher or whatever. Right. These people that, like, they're the people in the school that would conceal carry anyway that are into, you know, self-defense or whatever. Right. Like, having a core group like that, I like uh, a lot more. Um, or just, like, um, providing security for the schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> but then again, we, like, can't even really provide super solid food or information for the schools so or teacher pay or uh-huh. you know and then that's a that's a whole other thing it's like oh if you want me to hear the blank go off we're gonna need more money yeah like like it, this is another thing like uh, these teachers that have been in for a long time are like that have gone through this like now this is the norm now that's the yeah now now we're at this point uh, yeah i uh yeah, I remember when all that came out. Uh, well, the first like arming teachers. I'm like, it's okay if you train them. Yeah, uh, it's it's, it's one thing to uh, 
It's one thing to be shooting at a piece of paper at a at a at a gun range. It's something else to be shoot having a and be in a combat scenario with a lot of innocent people around. That's those are two entirely different scenarios. Uh, and one, you're you know going back, you're pumped up with adrenaline. Unless you've been trained to deal with that, then you're you're going to have a tough time. Um, but again, it's it's there's a thing with teachers, and I would say law enforcement too. So there's a whole lot of a society that we just keep tossing on their backs because they'll just do it. Um, you know, just yeah, y'all take care of that. Y'all yeah, take care of that. By the way, we're not going to pay you. You don't get a raise this year either. But here's another thing. Here's one more thing. You know, it's, math teacher's not just a math teacher anymore. Um, like a counselor. Uh, yeah, it's all of it. You know, uh, protector. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, that is um well and then too, so like mm-hmm. I think that um a direction we're headed with like uh so st- some students here um mm-hmm. of a local doctor and they were homeschooled for a long time, but then they started going to uh like RHS virtual academy. Mm-hmm. And they get to, um, like, have the whole experience. They play sports, mm-hmm. but they do everything from home. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. But they get, like, that social experience of, like, uh, like sport, band, you know. Right. There's certain things they have to show up for. But, I mean, we talked about this a little bit um, last time we chatted. It's just, like, the, you know, what's the future of these courses, which we, you know, think everybody should have, you know, the gen ed courses or the K- mm-hmm. K-12 um, and, and how is it going to be administered in this technological future? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, I, it's, again, it's the uh, kind of everything we can talk It's the rapid pace of innovation. Um, when we can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, yeah, it's because we're, you know, it's the paleolithic, paleolithic brains or minds living under medieval institutions dealing with technology with godlike powers. And we're, what we're dealing with is all the fallout from that, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's logistics and, in, in, uh, you know, shipping routes breaking down to school shootings to disinformation. It's it's all it all comes back to the same place. God, what was I seeing? Um, there is something after we talked last time that. Um, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw uh, some of these documentaries, and it's like, a, I believe, a book series, too. But you were talking about a podcast you'd listened to, or, or maybe a documentary you'd seen. Uh-huh. Um, but there's, like, the History Channel did some, like, short little documentaries about, like, pigs coming mm-hmm. from Spain and how all the conquistadors grew up being pig farmers. Mm-hmm. And then Lord of the Flies dropping off the pigs on the islands uh-huh. and swine flu and uh-huh. all of this. But, yeah, guns, germs, and steel. They had, like, a little I – I guarantee you they're getting off this dude's thesis here, uh-huh. um, Jared Diamond. But um, some real interesting points on that thesis, though. But, like, it, it uh, just about how much of those things have changed mm-hmm. everything. Like, well, school shootings, mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. steel guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, well, we're in a pandemic germs, mm-hmm. better wash your hands. Yep. It, it, All of it. It, it. it is it. Um, but, um, yeah, that's another one of those things. Like what I was saying with Steve jobs, it's like, you, you're like, oh yeah, well, here's, here's what happened to 
Spanish came over and then they wiped out the native population mm-hmm. with their diseases. But yeah. that's it. That's yeah. all that's said. Yeah. Well, that yeah, and that, okay. Now, yeah, I remember that that conversation because we were because I was talking about the history of slavery. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was like um, the the, the two minute version was, you know, basically the Vikings finally created better ships, and uh, and then the European countries adopted those ships, and slavery was really popular. You know, pretty much globally, it just it, you know you just. The, whoever the defeated people were at the time um, became slaves. You know, it didn't matter if they were from Norway or Germanic areas, or whatever. And they started running out, uh, but they never could. Uh, but the thing about Africa is they, they couldn't get across the Sahara. And the ships allowed them to circumvent the Sahara Desert. And they found a well-established uh, slave trade in sub-Sahara Africa. And they just tapped into that, and so it was already there. People are already selling folks, and it's a it's a network. Yeah, it was, was already an established network, and they just oh okay, we're just it's again logistics. Uh, and then what was happening is because they were trying to use uh, this was all happening about the time you know conquistadors are hitting South America, um, and the problem they they couldn't keep indigenous folks as slaves because they kept getting sick and dying. And so they just, dec- you know, it was decimated the population mm-hmm. and the unfortunate luck of the, uh, sub-Sahara population is they were immune to European diseases. And so that's how you ended up with black slaves in them in the Americas. It was like, Oh, they could still survive. Yeah. It's a bigger triangle than and, a network. Of, yeah. That you're given. Like, cause that's like, yeah. we talk about the triangular trade network. Yeah. You know, and, we talk about slavery, mm-hmm. and we talk about the spread of disease, mm-hmm. and, and rum running. Yeah, and it got. But man, it's like so far on the other side of that is like the bigger picture. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been out of grad school, mm-hmm. and then worked as a, for a long time. Twenty fifteen, I think, is mm-hmm. when I, I graduated with my uh, masters. Mm-hmm. And then I taught for four years. But the stuff I figure out, like the deeper part of like everything that you would glean from a U.S. History 1 or 2 class, you uh-huh. know, um, is it's kind of mind-blowing how you're just scratching the surface with that little three-sentence on that. And it's that with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, it, you know, when you're trying to cram so much, you lose all the nuance. And, the, and actually, it's not just nuance. It's the richness of the actual story. You're just, you know, when it gets distilled down to a headline, you don't get any of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's the rest of it that really kind of gives you context to understand, like, oh, this is the way the world works. So what we're saying is that we didn't read the article. We just shared the We just headline. shared the story. Like, yeah, like we just the, shared the headline. The headline is like, Indigenous peoples die from Spanish disease. And right. we're like, share. Share. That's it. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Uh, there's a. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of it. And that's because when you talk about like the American Indian Wars, like. We didn't fight the American Indian Wars. What, what was really what really happened is we felt we we uh, we had fights with what was left of the original nations. Are you talking about like with the new Predator movie? Uh, no, but I, I kind of want to watch that. I did watch it. it did was, you? Was it alright? It's okay. I, I thought, man, that was like said in like 1715 or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wonder how many horses the Comanche had at that time. I need to look into it. 
I mean, the Spanish got here. Mm-hmm. You have 1500s, like 1540s, mm-hmm. 1541 DeSotos in Arkansas. The Comanche were so good on a horse by the time the Texas Rangers come in that mm-hmm. they could not shoot their horse without the Comanche landing on their feet. Did you read the book? Oh, twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When um, I even uh, listened to most of his um, his uh, autobiography on Stonewall Jackson mm-hmm. for some reason, <laughs> I was like, I'll check it out uh-huh. uh, just because. I mean, I really wanted to see if it was like lost cause ish. Yeah, like if it was like a deification of Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a pretty fair treatment. I, I need to finish it. I've still got a ways to go. Okay, on. but anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It's a uh... I heard who was it I was listening to. It was a couple of his, I was listening to a podcast with a couple of historians, and they were trying they were trying to come to the. Oh, it might have been oh, um, yeah, the hardcore history. Uh, it was the hardcore history addendum addendum. I can't yeah, his uh, addendum podcast. Yeah, uh, where they just they were they were just knocking around the idea who exactly is indigenous, and they just started going around like you know global populations of like you know folks in Egypt are not originally from Egypt and he just globally uh, and there was the and they were like all right so if you take we'll just call it morality out does a region benefit or you know or have a demise because they were conquered you know and and I think and they were that specific when they were talking about it, Egypt probably benefited um, but I don't know it was it was just sort of interesting to watch them Carlin has a cool point, and he's getting his thesis from someone else, actually. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember who the original thesis was, but it comes up in other research that mm-hmm. Egypt was the crown jewel mm-hmm. of empire. Like, Egypt was like, uh, a lot of historians say Egypt was the first empire mm-hmm. in the ancient world. And then it, you know, it's you, all the rise of all these other empires but between Egypt and Rome. You know, you've mm-hmm. got the... The Greeks, you got the Persians, you got the Assyrians, like all these ascendant right. uh, empires. But um, that all of those I mentioned added Egypt mm-hmm. to their empire, and the way they viewed Egypt was like a crown jewel. This is another interesting. One. I'm getting get into uh, Edward Said. I, mm-hmm. I've cited him in my, my master's thesis, but for mm-hmm. um, a book called Culture and Imperialism. Mm-hmm. But he basically is the cultural appropriation guy. He wrote okay. these books in the 80s, uh-huh. those ones called Orientalism. And, and and I just finished this book on Napoleon Egypt. Um, and basically, like, here's the gist. Like, Napoleon and his guys get to Egypt, and they're like, where the fuck is Cleopatra? This ain't Cleopatra's Egypt. Uh-huh. This ain't the Pharaoh's Egypt. Uh-huh. Y'all ruined it. Uh-huh. Kill him. Like... Wow. It, it was it was kind of like that because it's like they were had been taken over by this group called the Mamelukes mm-hmm. that were kind of um, henchmen for the Ottoman Turks, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but like then they like end up invading the Holy Land mm-hmm. and they're telling everybody like, look, we're we're good Muslim people, uh-huh. like. But then like they're raping and pillaging and uh, killing people and taking their harems and. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a weird time, but like the the sentiment was, you ruined the way I think about Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like I read these accounts of Egypt, and and you're here, and this is not what I read about, right. and you ruined it. Uh huh. Like that's I'm I'm paraphrasing, but uh-huh. that that's the guy's thesis is that he basically calls like what France and Great Britain did, 
in the colonial era, but like Egypt being an example is like mm. the greatest cultural appropriation of all time, dude. The Rosetta Stone's in Denver. You want to go touch it? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's this big um, discussion about um, oh, what it might be the Sphinx's beard. There's some antiquity that like is off in some other country, and then that main piece of it's in Egypt. And I think it's the Sphinx's beard, but I could be wrong. And it's like, could we give back the Sphinx's beard and like put it on? Uh-huh. You know, and like well, they've done stuff like that before. Right. And, um, but then they're like, well, you know, that would be good. You know, if we gave it back, that would be good. But, but, you know, but, but then, you know, if, <laughs> if it's the Sphinx's beard, where does it stop? You know, the Rosetta Stone, we got to get right, that back right, too. Yeah. And it's, I, I get it. There's a whole lot of British museums that are suddenly going to find a lot of empty space oh man but that uh, well um too this is something uh, um you know where museum comes from the place of the muses okay right those things that were helping you with your videos yep it still took 40 hours but yep but that's an interesting like i was talking at a philosophy professor on you should listen to my last podcast mm-hmm. i just released last week uh, bill aiken mm-hmm. he knew uh charlie bush super well mm-hmm. taught at u of o but um Man, we we got off in on Socrates and everything. You mm-hmm. would, I think, I, would like I think then. you would enjoy it. But um, I forgot what I was. Well, the point I was connecting with Bill Aiken, um, some philosophical point where we were, we were talking about, you know, taking all the Egyptian treasure and sending it back. Oh, uh, yeah, just uh, cultural appropriation. That's what I see it as. Mm-hmm. Not like um, somebody sees my shirt I did for the gym with the skull and the headdress as uh-huh. cultural appropriation. Uh-huh. I'm like, it doesn't have skin. Uh-huh. Like, it gets a skull uh-huh. wearing a headdress. Uh-huh. You know? And you assigned a, an ethnicity to it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it, it's weird how people are, though. Anyway. That it is. Well, dude, I'm gonna kind of wrap it up. Alright, I got class here in a little bit, so I'll... Uh, 110 is a nice little two-hour combo, bro. It works. Um, but especially you, since we plan on going 90 minutes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it happens. It's a bonus. Um, do check out that last podcast. Okay, I was, we'll do. Um, I thought about it several times. It, this is a great conversation, but that was too, so I'm on two in a row. Okay. Um, and I do, I, I'm, I'm lining up some longer uh, distance guests also that I'm really excited about. Well, I'm, I'm heading back to Key West next. Well, I'm actually heading back to Texas next week, but Key West shortly after that. How and long until you come back again? I'll be, I don't know, sometime. Probably November, I'm okay. guessing. Um, but the uh, I'm taking all my podcast gear down there, so I'm going to see if I can find some cool Key West folks and take the Pirate Professor podcast on the road. Yeah. Do so. some, that's what I, man, I really enjoyed uh, doing these interviews with Dr. Tarver with uh-huh. all these different historians from all over. Uh-huh. Uh, and we did one in English and Spanish. So, but I'll do one with him. Uh, we we are like he just finished his last one, and I'm getting him booked to to talk about all that. Okay. So declassified documents. Nice. All right. Signing off. All right, man.